Welcome to Life on the Watercrest Line. In this series, we follow the activities of the line throughout the year. We go behind the scenes and see all aspects of the operation. Episode 5, The Canadian Pacific Project, Part 3, where I talk to Becky Peacock, who is project managing the restoration of this famous Merchant Navy class locomotive. We're now in the boiler shop and we're stood looking at two boilers, one of which is upside down, which is Canadian Pacific, and the other, which is from the West Country Pacific, which was the smaller version that Becky mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, so we've got Canadian Pacific's boiler, which is upside down, so that we could get the inner firebox out. Uh, it's the best position for it to be in, but that did require some... Uh big movements using our steam crane and then what we've got is west country class swanage next to it and it's where you can start to see the differences in size of the two classes of of the the lighter pacific against the merchant navy and it's really the boilers that you can start to see this difference once their uh, boilers are back in and and everything's back um over the top of it you don't really see the difference in size it it really looks minimal (laughs) Uh, but here in the boiler shop, you can really start to see um, that size difference. And you said earlier that the lighter Pacifics could work on further west, where the, where the track wasn't quite as strong. Yes, yeah, so that's why they're named after, um, why they're called the West Country Classes, would have been the area that they would have worked. But they also would have worked up this far as well and, and across up to Waterloo. But the Merchant Navy couldn't go past um, Exeter um, because of their weight, their weight issue. And so, you know, this lighter class really um, took over from then. But you can, like I said, really see that difference in size and weight when you just have their boilers. You mentioned earlier that Canadian Pacific was overweight when built and they had to drill holes and various other things. Didn't they realise that when they were making it? Well, when they originally did the designs, they did kind of notice that it was going to be overweight and they tried to make some adjustments, and they did. But unfortunately, by the time they built it, they still realised that it was sufficiently overweight um, for the task it was needed to do. And so they drilled holes in the frames to make it lighter, and it did. But it was still a a heavy locomotive. It was never going to be um, a small locomotive or light in any way even with the wheels which were lighter than spoked wheels which I suppose is a positive because it wasn't additional weight (laughs) on it but when you really start to take the locomotive apart you do start to realize just where that weight goes and and why it is you know 97 tons. If I was looking at a locomotive today I'm not talking about steam locomotive an electric or a diesel locomotive what kind of weight would they come in at? A lot lighter um, we're, we're currently in Eastleigh uh, are next to the modern trains being used on the main line and you can start to see the difference they're made out of you know a lot of different material Canadian Pacific's made entirely out of steel so you think about that that has a huge weight difference compared to the lighter materials um, that are used for modern trains and Canadian Pacific she definitely wouldn't be stopped by much if she was going whereas you know modern trains don't have that sort of power or, or that sort of weight behind them and so when we try to stop Canadian Pacific we need to have a large stopping distance 
Now, one question that I thought of when we were talking earlier, but I didn't ask, is Canadian Pacific was built in 1941. The Southern Railway had already electrified a large part of its network in the 1930s. Why didn't it build electric locomotives? It's probably one a very good question. In terms of what the Merchant Navy were built for, by the time Oliver Bullard became the chief mechanical engineer of the Southern Railway, he realised that the Southern Railway had the largest passenger numbers of any railway in the UK, and they also had the most tired fleet. Uh, the engines had been going for years, and they were tired, they were continually breaking down, they needed maintenance, they really needed a brand new set of locomotives. And particularly for the Southern Railway, although they hauled the most passengers, they had no class that was really the star. Every other railway had a star class or a star locomotive um, that really showed them off. And so this was what they produced. Oliver Bullard came up with the Merchant Navy class. It had this air smooth casing, something that was completely new, uh, a new look. It was striking. You knew where it came from. You knew it was Southern Railway. And so it gave them that and a new set of locomotives that were not tired. And so it really revolutionised the Southern Railway, um, even though they had electrified part of their, their railway. They suddenly had this locomotive that screamed, we are the Southern Railway. So, so part of it was prestige then? It was. You know, I think in terms of, of the, the types of people that were running the Southern Railway at the time, the time that Oliver Bullard joined in, they really wanted to produce something that was striking, that was different and would do all the things that they needed it to do, like haul freight and passengers and boat trains and the Bournemouth Bell, but just look striking. And people want to come and see it. Because obviously, although they had high passenger numbers, they wanted more. And so if people wanted to come and see these locomotives, then they'd have to ride on the Southern Railway. Something to think about there, certainly, yes. smooth casing still survives on two of the locomotives we have here so it survives on west country class swanage and west country class weybridge and not all of the west country had the air smooth casing removed so those two still have it on on the locomotive whereas all of the merchant navy had it removed um, and that was because they were they were taken in to be rebuilt much sooner than the rest of the classes so some of them re remained as original locomotives, so to speak, they purely did. because they ran out of time with the remo removal of steam anyway. It's not worth... No, it wasn't worth. And, and to be honest, they actually realistically spent a lot of money rebuilding the Merchant Navy and parts of the West Country class um, because they also had to take off the oil baths as well and, and do some adjustments to the locomotives. And so realistically... When you think about it, it was probably not a worthwhile um, rebuild. It was rebuilt to R.G. Jarvis's um, traditional standard of steam locomotives, so it now looks like any other locomotive aside from its size and its, its different wheels set. But obviously, Weybridge and Swanage still have their air smooth casings, so you can start to see the contrast. And Swanage should be out at roughly um, the same time as Canadian Pacific, so we'll have um, a lovely 
compare and contrast running alongside the, the rather large merchant navy and the lightly, slightly smaller, lighter uh, West Country class, but a, a rebuilt and an unrebuilt. But it is very interesting to see the two boilers side by side. It is, yes. Um, and it really is um, interesting to see the difference in, in length of the boiler tubes itself and, and the size of the firebox itself. And, um, you know, obviously both lo- locomotive boilers don't have their smoke boxes on, so there's an additional size mm. to it as well. I'm here with Sam in the boiler shop. He's one of the engineers that is working on the Canadian Pacific boiler and the other boilers that are in the shop. So how long have you been here, Sam? I've uh, been here, started as an apprentice in 2009. Uh, worked here until 2014. I went away, worked as a boiler inspector for three years, and now I've come back as the boiler shop manager. Are you enjoying it now that you've come back? Yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying getting back into a bit of hen- heavy engineering. Uh, it's a lot more interesting than just doing the inspections on the... So, yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I see it's pretty good that you were an apprentice and then you became an inspector. You must have learnt a lot as an apprentice. Oh, definitely, yeah. You learn all about the sort of defects that you'd expect to find, sort of faults that you might find in welds and stuff like that, which a lot of the things you do on a locomotive boiler are still relevant to modern industrial boilers that you'd look at today. Uh, so that's what I was looking at as an inspector and uh, I was surprised how much of the knowledge was transferable especially regards corrosion and uh, sort of stress cracking and things like that. So you've got this project what are the high spots and low spots of it? Uh, I can't speak for what happened before I came back earlier this year I'd say the low spot was finding out just how much needed replacing initially it wasn't anticipated that it would need an entire new in a firebox it was anticipated it would need some minor patches uh, but it's ended up needing as i say a whole new inner firebox and three quarters of its back end replacing uh, which is quite a significant repair how is that progressing uh, very well so far we've got two guys coming in as contractors who are both coded welders so between the two of them they're they're cracking on with that really well uh, i've got one guy welding up the back head at the moment and the other guy is prepping all the parts for the inner firebox ready for tacking up and they're going to be offered up in place just to take some datums and measurements and make sure that it's all going to fit right and then the inner firebox is going to be constructed outside in the you know externally from the boiler in the workshop and then once completed everything will go outside and it will be lifted into the boiler with the steam crane I'm told that's going to happen at Eastleigh, or, or is that the final bit when the complete boiler gets that, lifted onto the yeah, freight? The, the firebox into the boiler will happen here, because it will then come back in here for all the stays to be drilled and tapped out and fitted. Uh, and after that will be uh, all the tubes to fit and all the sort of mis- miscellaneous other, other fittings to, to rectify. Becky told me earlier about the fact that a lot of stays had to be destroyed, perfectly good ones, to get the boiler out in the first place. That's, that's right, yeah. Quite often you'll find the stays are still serviceable, but the plate work that they're threaded into is not. And so in order to remove the plate work, you have to... The only way of taking the stays out is to destroy them, even if they're, they're good. If the plate work's not, the whole lot is scrap. 
So apart from the Canadian Pacific project, what else are you working on? Uh, so the other boilers in here at the moment are the one for the S15, uh, 30506, which is currently virtually complete. It's due its hydraulic test in September, which will be witnessed by our boiler inspector. Uh, following that will be the out-of-frame steam test, which will take place in the yard. Uh, and then following that, the boiler is then ready to be lifted into the frames. So we're not doing much on that one at the moment because it's, it's virtually ready for, for hydraulic. The third boiler in here is another bullied. It's the West Country Swanage, uh, which is not having quite as heavy repairs as Canadian Pacific, but it's still having a new firebox tube plate and some plate work replaced to the outer firebox. This item in front of me looks like it's partially made of copper. Uh, yeah, that's a, a copper in a firebox from a schools class, which is being worked on by Andrew Netherwood, a contractor. It's actually uh, his own private job, so it's for, <laughs> for another railway. <laughs> you rent out space as well, do you? Not, not as a rule, but this originally came in, it was being worked on by Andy when he was an employee, but he's now taken it on as a, as a contract job, and it was, it's easier for him to pay us storage fees than for it than for us to try and arrange getting it out of here in pieces i'm amazed to see that a lot of it is bolted together uh, that's they're all temporary temporary holding bolts so that will be riveted we use the bolts to pull the seams up tight right. prior to riveting so the one the holes that don't have bolts in at the moment they'll have rivets in and then the bolts that you can see will then be taken out and be riveted up as well well, thank you very much. That was very interesting. Okay. When the project is completed, we will again be able to hear Canadian Pacific live upon the railway, rather than relying on recordings such as this one. I would like to thank Becky Peacock and Sam for both their time and for allowing me to interview them for this podcast. If you would like to contribute towards the Canadian Pacific Restoration Project, please visit the Watercrest Line website and go to the Canadian Pacific Project pages. This podcast is published by the Mr T Podcast Studio.